And there we go. Great time of worship. I think that's uh, always a highlight for me. Prayer, worship, and praise. I don't get a chance to do this very often, and uh, I have to admit I enjoy it. It's a challenge. Um, and I'm, I'm not trained for this, but uh, uh, it's something that uh, I find fulfillment in. Oh, well. So at any rate, uh, when I was asked to speak, uh, actually some years ago now, uh, Jonathan kindly gave me some pointers. First one was, don't, don't do it. But uh, <laughs> the second one was to uh, try and share something from my own personal experiences that aligned with what I was trying to get across is what I was trying to teach. So this particular time, I worked away at it, and I realized that the illustration that I had that worked was from 65 years ago. So I had to tax my memory quite a ways. When I was about five years old, my parents took me and my family to England for about two years while my father took a degree at the University of Nottingham. While he worked hard on his studies and doing research, my mother, my brother, and I traveled the countryside seeing various tourist things and uh, um, just enjoying ourselves. We toured a number of castles. Little kids love castles. We played in Sherwood Forest and pretended that we were Robin Hood's merry men. We saluted the guards at Buckingham Palace and we waved to a newly coronated queen. And we also had a great time eating Plymouth Rock candy. One day we had a fascinating experience. First we visited a small rural, rural village. And as we approached the village, we could see towering above everything else a church spire with a cross on the top. Similar to the, the spire on the Presbyterian church in Brockville. In the village, we stopped, and as a little boy standing in front of the church, I looked up, 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 and that spire seemed to go so high, I thought it was going to poke a hole in the sky. It seemed like it, it uh, would summon people from every direction with the cross as an invitation to come to God. We then went to a place called Burton-on-the-Water, and there was an accurate scale model of the village in extreme accuracy and detail. Uh, and there in that model was the church. But now, as a five-year-old boy, I could reach out and touch the cross on the top of the church. Felt like a giant. It was great. One of the things that I marveled about was that the, the people taking care of this, uh, this model took great pains to make it accurate. I'm told that if uh, someone in the village painted the shutters red instead of green, that the model would be altered accordingly by the end of the day. My parents still had another treat for my brother and I. 
they took us to another attraction. It was an accurate scale model of the model. So we had the church, the model, and the model and model. It was great. And the thing for me there, in order to reach the cross on top of the spire, I had to reach down. Fantastic. It's interesting, the Bible also recounts a situation where there's what is real, there is the model of what is real, and there is the model of the model of what is real. During Exodus, Moses was given detailed instructions for the construction of a tent uh, arrangement that was to be used for the worship of God. It was called a tent of meeting or the tabernacle. There was curtain covering the entrance to the tent, an inner court where the Israel, Israelites prayed and worshipped. There was a holy place where sacrifices were offered, sacrifices of incense and the shewbread and the rituals uh, were performed. And then there was a separate tent within that structure called the Holy of Holies where the priest could meet with God once a year. It contained the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and uh, that contained the tablets with the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses and Aaron's staff. Many years later, Solomon built a magnificent temple based on the instructions that had been given to Moses. But rather than being smaller as a copy, it was much, much larger and very ornate. Later, it was destroyed, but Ezra rebuilt the temple, and Herod then improved upon it, and it was Herod's temple that Christ visited. It was built as a structure more befitting the worship of the Lord, the worship of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. As you read a description of the temple in the Bible, you'll find that they named different parts of the temple. There was a big column, a pillar, that they called Jachin. And they, another pillar that they called Boaz. And Jachin means God will establish. Actually, Yahweh will establish. And Boaz means in his strength. Appropriate for going into the temple. I'm told also that each doorway had a name. As you approached the temple, there was an outer area where the people from any nation or any belief could come to see the, this magnificent temple. They could come to view from the outside. If you've been to Israel or been to Jerusalem uh, and visited the Wailing Wall, as it's called, the area around that is this... Uh, area that we're referring to. It's called the Court of the Gentiles. And basically this was where the tourists could come and see this magnificent structure. There was an entrance that led from that courtyard into the temple. And that area was only open to the Jews because they were God's chosen people. That entrance was called the way. 
Beyond this outer court, there was a porch leading to another entrance. This led to the holy place, where only the priests were allowed to go. And it's that there that they made their offerings. This entrance was called the truth. Finally, there was the curtained entrance to the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, and where God's presence was, was experienced. This entrance was called the life and led into the actual, the actual presence of God. So when Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was actually saying, I am the temple of God. Now the Jews at that time always marveled at this temple that, that had been built, so much so that they worshipped the temple as much or more than they worshipped God. As a result, when Jesus made this claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they felt that he was blaspheming the temple and sought to put him to death. Note, when Jesus said, I am the way, he did not say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. And then, just in case you didn't get the significance of that, he goes on, to restate it more emphatically. He says, no man comes to the Father except by me. Man in the generic term meaning human. Jesus illustrates the same truth in John 10:7, when he says, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. When we enter through Christ into the temple of the Lord, we are God's chosen people. Now as Christians, we know we are to treat those of other faiths with respect because they are, like us, created in the image of God. But we do not adopt their doctrine or their practices because we've learned there is only one way. And Jesus is the way. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was referring to the place of offering. Though we might consider this statement to refer to all his teaching, which, of course, are true. I believe that it refers to one essential truth. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, for the sins of all mankind, when we consider the, that our ultimate goal is fellowship with God, this is the only truth that really matters. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died one for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The truth that counts is that Christ offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice and died for you and died for me. It is his offering of his life that has the power to bring us into relationship with God. That is an all-encompassing, all-important truth. When Jesus said, I am the life, he was referring to entering into the very presence and fellowship with Almighty God and all that entails. Not a small thing. It refers, of course, to eternal life 
both prior to death and after death. Uh, John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But it also refers to more than that. John 10.10 tells us, I have come, this is Jesus' words, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Or other translations refer to it in abundance, have life in abundance. Let me ask the question, are you living a full and abundant life in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ? John 5.24 tells us when we hear Jesus' word and believe, we have crossed over from death to life. Jesus is life. Now the Bible also describes a third temple that Solomon's temple and the tabernacle are modeled after. Hebrews 8.5 tells us that Christ serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Whereas the priests in Solomon's temple merely and I quote this from the scripture, merely serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The real temple, the real tabernacle is in heaven. So there is the true, taber- uh, true temple which exists in heaven. If Solomon's temple was magnificent and a wonder to behold, can you imagine what the true temple in heaven would look like? Boggles the mind. It must have been absolutely wonderful. It is that temple we enter in a spiritual sense when we come to Christ. We might say that the true temple is in heaven. Solomon's temple is his, its model. And the tent of meeting is a model of the model. As you look at this church and others, you'll note, that it is constructed in the same manner. There is the foyer, where we gather before church. There is the inner area here, where we have the pews and gather as believers. There is the altar where we lay our monetary sacrifices. And there is the cross representing the presence of Almighty God in Christ. In relation to this image of the temple, think about it. Where would you say that you find yourself right now? Are you still in the outer area looking in? You know about Christ and know some of his teachings, but have not yet surrendered to your will to embrace Christ's will for your life. Have you entered in through Christ the way into the courtyard and accepted that you are chosen of God, but have not yet embraced the fullness of that gift. Perhaps you have entered the gateway called the truth, marveled daily that God should send his son to make the sacrifice that brought you to God. Jesus died for you. Or, or, Have you entered into the Holy of Holies and embraced a life in connection with God 
where you hear God's voice, are constantly filled with the Holy Spirit and experience an intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Where would you find yourself this morning? There's one more reference we need to be aware of, and I found this fascinating. Revelation describes the end times where there will be a new earth and a new Jerusalem. John records his experience saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. A new Jerusalem. Can you imagine what the temple in the new Jerusalem would look like? Can you imagine how ornate and beautiful it would be? Let's read on. Revelation 21, verse 22. John says, I did not see a temple in the city. What? I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. What does the passage mean when it talks about a lamb? John the Baptist one day was teaching his disciples. And Jesus walked by. And John stopped his teaching and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. The true temple wherein we have fellowship with Almighty God. And our sins are no more the worship team can come up. I just have uh, one more illustration to share with you. Just one more, and we'll be all done. There were two men, Joe and Charlie, who went for a walk in the woods. Sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, I know. But, uh, so two men, Joe and Charlie, are off for a walk in the woods. They're deep in, con- in conversation, perhaps about some great theological principle, more likely about hockey or uh, baseball. And when there's a lull in the conversation, they look around and realize nothing looks familiar. They're lost in the woods. And they don't know the way home. Eventually, they split up. Joe goes to the right, Charlie goes to the left, and looking for a way home. Short time later, Joe stumbles out onto a path and realizes it's the path to take him home. What do you think was the first thing he did? Hopefully he thanked God, right? But what do you think after that? What was the first thing he did? Of course, he called to his friend. Hey, Charlie, come here. I've found the path. I know the way home. What about you and I? When we discover the way, when we accept the truth, when we enter into the life, Shouldn't our first impulse be the same? Hey, Charlie, come here. I found the way. I know the truth. I want you to experience the abundant life with me. Wouldn't we want to share this remarkable gift that we have been given? We actually see an example of this response in Scripture. 
John 1.40 uh, recounts, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. Notice that. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found this Messiah, that is the Christ. Then he brought Simon to Jesus. This Simon, Jesus um, named Peter. And Peter became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Imagine how much of the Bible would have been missing if Andrew had been too shy, as we have, we often are, to share with his brother about Jesus. We, like the Apostle Paul, should not be reluctant to speak of what we believe. Paul said it well in Romans. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to understand and to accept and to embrace the principle that you are, in Christ, the way to salvation. You are the truth that we need to hold on to. You are the life that we aspire to. Help us, Lord, to surrender our life for the life you offer in Christ. Be with us, Lord, each day. Shower your mercies upon us and give us joy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.